Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with good measures. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. Now, right now, football should be pretty low in anyone's priorities. But we also know that it remains an escape from the stresses of reality for a lot of us. And Lord knows there's a lot of stresses right now. Uh, So we're going to be pulling in some of our brilliant guests to keep chatting nonsense about the Dons, even if there's currently no live football to watch. Now, to get around the whole no football thing... One of the things we're going to do is to take a detailed look back at a memorable season. Now, the one tonight had a few highs. I mean, there aren't many seasons where we've reached both cup finals after all, but it did have an awful lot of lows as well. Uh, let's just say it's got a strong narrative this season. It's season 1999-2000 under the microscope of this episode. And joining me to review that first season of Every School Dallas Reign is, as ever, Martin Clunas. Martin, how are you? I'm not too bad, Richard. Keeping well. How are you? Yeah, okay. Okay, and these these first uh, gentle steps into martial law that we'll soon be living under. Uh, Then, the merchandiser of choice to the more refined members of the Red Army, it's uh, Mark Elric. Either Mark, have you spent the last week panic buying all the pasta you can get your hands on? Yes. I have I have all the pasta, and we're going to be giving away a pack of pasta with every phone case uh, during the apocalypse. But not as part of your weekly competition, I note. Okay, and finally, after an aborted attempt to get him on a few weeks ago, a welcome return to the show for Cameron Hobbs. Cameron, what's the one piece of Don's footage that would help you get through a few months of self-isolation? Oh, jeez. It's got to be the 83 Cup, uh, Cup Runners Cup Final. That's the bit of footage. That's the whole game. You can watch that again and again and again on repeat. You could, and every time you'd wonder why we didn't win it in 90 minutes. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about 82-83. We're not going to talk about the glorious highs. We're not going to talk about the season on which we were the best team in Europe. We're going to talk about the season in which we were the worst team in Europe, because that's how we do things around here. Um... Let's be clear that before Abby Scovedal was appointed, Martin, the Dons were on their arse, basically. We'd had the tail end of the Roy Aiken era, which was dismal, and then the Alex Miller appointment was a disaster from start to finish. So we were in a mess, weren't we? I think I've said this on here before, and I think we'll probably, we would probably come to agreement that the Alex Miller era is probably you know, some of the worst times to be, an Aber- to be an Aberdeen fan, I mean, arguably the worst ever Aberdeen manager um, for me. Anyway, I think things had been things had been really bad. You know, the seasons before this one, um, I think we'd had a couple of sixth place finishes, a couple of eighth places. You know, things just weren't 
you know there was there was a there was a sort of decline despite the fact that we you know we had we had some good players um it just wasn't ha- wasn't happening you know well, billy dodds was doing was doing decent for us you no know, knocking some goals with he and jess with these guys but it just wasn't happening um and something had something had to change you know you get the kind of you know you no know, roy Aitken, alex miller type of managers you no know, something ha- something different had to happen um, I know, and as was was fashionable at the time, um, the board looked to somebody like Eb Skovdal. Yeah, he was a, a sort of left field appointment in a way for Aberdeen, uh, Mark. But it, you had Dick Avocat at uh, Ibrox. I think even Motherwell had appointed a foreign manager who didn't last very long, admittedly, Harry Campman. Um But um, you couldn't accuse the board at that point having gone for what they no doubt thought was a really safe pair of hands in Alex Mother. You couldn't accuse him of that this time, could you? No, I mean, I think we're all quite excited with the prospect of uh, Eb Skovdal coming to Pataudry. We'd seen him before UEFA Cup here. Um, he he had a pedigree, you know, he, he definitely had a personality. Um, so, yeah, I think it was it, it seemed like an exciting time in the cusp of 99-2000 season. And it was a time, Cameron, where um, the whole idea of speculate to accumulate was uh, was uh, was still still on board at Pataudry. Uh, very fashionable yeah, around the whole Scottish game and um, there had been a number of foreign in- imports on a playing side in the years leading up to that so again the belief was that he was a manager that knew some Scandinavian markets could perhaps extract some value out of there Yeah and do you know it was a manager with a lot of experience, when you look back he started managing I think in the 70s so by the time he came to Aberdeen he had a lot of experience. It was very trendy to look into Europe and go and get your managers and your players from there. Um, Scottish football was starting to get a little bit bored of itself, I think. Um, and I always think, even now, although we're slightly tainted by these guys of the past, if you see a foreign name, you're immediately intrigued because it's something new and it's something different. It's got the potential to be absolutely phenomenal. And there was a player that came in in this season who absolutely was one of those players. Unfortunately, there was about six or seven that were the complete opposite end, which were absolute humdinkin. Um, and just we've been left with dud after dud over the years. Even players like Balder Bet, you know, he had an eye iconic surname, Icelandic, of oh, Scottish really, but you know, um, things like that just <laughs> didn't ever work out. It was the start for me of us getting into the Tombola era, and I think that that's something that haunted us all the way through the noughties, uh, and it started with Mr. Skovdal himself. Yeah, there was a, a huge turnover of players, man, wasn't there, that, that first season as well, partly because... Skovdal was looking for answers after that start to the season, but in total, 35 different players got a game that season. Any uh, any of the new signings stand out for you? I mean, the obvious the, the obvious ones that stand out are the are the two Moroccan lads, um, and of course, you know, um, we can't we can't forget um, our old staff room, um, who you know made, made it in, uh, made it in our no our Don's team of the two thousands, which shows how you know despite the fact be, playing in what was an absolutely awful season. Um, he was still an absolutely uh, brilliant player, but yeah, the, the two Moroccan lads were the ones that obviously kind of captured the imagination. Um, obviously, there was the stories about um, about them getting the bus, all that kind of stuff. You know, it was a, it was a kind of it was a kind of it was an exciting time, despite the fact that you know, things weren't going things weren't going very well. Um, you know, it's like you no know, Zero Ali. You know, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll come to some of the goals he scored during the season. Was just was just you no know, one of these players on the ball. You, know, you get ex- you get exciting. 
you know you get excitement when you see him. You, know, you think anything could happen. Um, you know, one, again, we used the phrase before where you, know, you would pay just to see him, and he was he was capable of so much. You know, um, obviously at times you know he, he drifted out of games and he you know, could have been a bit lazy, but he was it was exciting to see um, compared to some of the some previous seasons or some of the seasons after where you, know, you look at you look at you know, once. Once Scovdale had gone, and you look at the Steve Patterson teams, and you know there's nobody you would have paid to see. I mean, they should have been letting us in for free for some of those some of those games. But um, the Moroccan guys in Stavrum were the ones who really, really kind of got you excited. Um, it didn't quite happen for Belabed in the same way. Um, he obviously had his comedy moments. Um, and who, I mean, no, let's be honest. Who doesn't like somebody who goes in for a tackle with an overhead kick? <laughs> <laughs> he did everything by the means of an overhead kick. It was amazing. Yeah, Mark, I'm I'm thinking that those we didn't have the transfer window back then, so the signings were kind of drip fed to the first half of the season. Before that first game against Celtic, there hadn't actually been that much movement. The only sort of guy that came in really was uh, the goalkeeper David Priest, uh, who we all obviously think of very fondly around here these days, but. Um, I mean, a start to his Aberdeen career, it could hardly have gone worse, could it? Celtic, wasn't yes. it? Yes. First game of the season, yeah. Yeah, but he was kind of setting the tone, wasn't he, for, for other games against Celtic. So, like, I, I love David Priest as well. I, I really like him. Um, but he he was on the end of a good few hammerings from Viduka and uh, Larson. And, yeah, yeah. It's not a good game to introduce yourself, is it really? Cameron, I mean, were you looking forward to that first game of the season? I mean, Celtic obviously had appointed John Barnes that season, so it was two new managers going head-to-head. And there was obviously still an expectation within the Aberdeen support that they could compete with a team like Celtic. And I think you had your very first season ticket that season, didn't you? Yes, I did. And what a belter of a season I picked, eh? Don't I do well? The first time I ever saw an Aberdeen game was the 93-94 season, and we'll write that one off as well. I have been a bogey all the way through. Um, you always look forward to opening day the season. There was a pe- And it's funny, we went through periods where we went on a great run of always winning our opening game. And then we went through a run of equally as long of losing every game on the opening day as well. So you always come into that with high expectations. You've got a new manager, someone from abroad. You can't wait to see what he's going to do a little bit differently. You come into the game and then you get absolutely pumped. And then, you know, I was, I'm living in Edinburgh. I'm a student at this point, living at home. And I've got to get that miserable bus all the way back down the road after it as well. What a start to the season. Thud. Uh, the realisation of, Jesus Christ, we've got another 10 months of this in front of us. Hits you hard. Um, you can maybe then start to write off the fact that it's Celtic and you start looking forward to the next week. Surely you're going to get back into things. Uh, but yeah, that didn't really work out either. That, that's a little bit of an understatement, I would say, Cam. I mean, it didn't really work out. Is uh, one of the understatements of the year. Um, <laughs> after Celtic, we then played Kilmarnock away, Dundee at home, Hearts away, St Johnston at home, Rangers away, and lost all of those games, all six games to start the season, without scoring a single goal. It was incredible, it was, and not in a good way, Martin. Had you ever contemplated that we could fall to those depths? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, no. We spoke. I spoke there. You no, know, we spoke there about some of the players we had, and you know, could you no. Know, how can you you know, How can you kind of come think of the idea of a team that contains guys like Ian Jess? Like you no, know, 
know, for all the criticism you get, somebody like Paul Bernard, um, Robbie Winters wasn't as you no know, as as bad as some Aberdeen fans seem to think he was. You no, know, a team that you know contains those type of guys, uh, and we managed to go those games you no know, without even without scoring a goal. I mean, before that Celtic game, I mean, I, I the, the start of this season, I, mean, I, I before I remember sitting around. Um, especially that first game of the season, being so positive and thinking, "Fuck it's John Barnes! Oh, come on! No, John <laughs> Barnes really is a manager." And thinking, and, and despite the fact that you, know, you looked at their team and said, "Ah, they've got Larson, they've got Viduka, and this," and I goes, oh, "I really fancy this. I was really, really up for this that season." And you take the spanking off Celtic, which you no, know, is always just shite when that happens to you. But that next run of games. And you're thinking, okay, oh, it's just a blip. It'll be the next one. I mean, Kilmarnock, really, Dundee, you no know, Hearts, St Johnston, and you're just you're surrendering. It's not, none of those were one nils as well. You know, that was no, it was twos and threes, and it was it was actually just it was beyond comprehension. And at that point, you know, you find yourself six six games into the season having not scored a goal and with zero points. Um, immediately, you're thinking, oh no, we are we are in deep deep trouble here. So it's fair to say, ahead of the game with Dundee United at Pataudry, game seven of a league campaign, expectations were, were pretty low, Mark. Um, we weren't thinking necessarily about winning the game, we just wanted a damn goal. It's not, I mean, it's not too dissimilar to a, a similar run uh, recently, isn't it? I suppose, like going through all those games without scoring and, you know, the frustration building. But you've got United, so you can always be, you can always be sure we're going to get a goal against United. And uh, Cameron, the goal when it came, it sparked some pretty joyous scenes at Pataudry. <laughs> We'd been waiting a while, to be <laughs> fair. Um, and it was much needed, to be perfectly honest. It was one of those things that had been going on so long that it becomes one of those things. You're not even focused on the fact that you're losing every game at that point. You're just focused on the fact you can't even score. So to get that particular thing off your back means like, Great. Do you know what? That's done now. We've managed to get on the board. Now we can start thinking about getting into a game and getting some points. So I think it was as much relief as anything. By that point, like you said, you know, we started so badly. Expectations were rock bottom at this point. Um, and fine, we knew that the league was going to expand to 12. But we knew at that point that there was a chance that the bottom team was going to be in a playoff. And you couldn't really have three up, one down. So you definitely didn't want to be finishing bottom anyway. Um, not that that made even finishing towards anywhere near the bottom made any more sort of acceptable or appealing to us. We should never be in that situation. But, you know, at that stage of the season, you start to think, oh, geez, how bad is this going to get? Yeah, I mean, as I say, that first goal, even if it was just an equaliser against Dundee United, it was celebrated with a, a, a remarkable intensity. I think I remember being at the back of the Richard Donald stand that day and pretty much running down the stairs to nearly the front of the top tier uh, in celebration of the goal. And it's ex- exactly where I was, so we maybe hugged each other that day. Who <laughs> knew? Many years on, we chat about it on a podcast. It's kismet. It's absolutely kismet. And Andy Dyer as a player will come back to later because um, he um, had the season of his life. Or maybe we just dragged ourselves down to Andy Dyer's standards. Who's to say? But it was a, it was a cracking free kick that day to draw us level. Inevitably, though, of course, we lost that game two um, one to a pretty disputed. Uh, Billy Dodd's goal, as I, uh, as I recollect, did it cross the line or did it not? But it was given as a goal and we lost 2-1. But at least one of the monkeys was off our back. The week after, uh, well, at least the next game, a couple of weeks later against Hibs at Pataudry, 
We're 2-1 up going into stoppage time and contrived to lose an equaliser. So we still haven't won a game in the league. We face Celtic again. John Barnes Celtic again. Surely it can't go worse than last time. Um, we lose 7-0 at Parkhead. We're hitting the point mark where, where records are being broken all over the shop. It's horrible. It's horrible, isn't it? Losing seven, like a professional team should never lose seven goals, regardless. Yeah, like what, what else can you say about that? Losing 7-0 at Celtic. Our three results against John Barnes Celtic. Now, John Barnes considered one of the worst ever Celtic managers. 5-0 at home, 7-0 at Parkhead, and then a 6-0 at home in December. So, was that the game Priest got hospitalised? Was that that one? The 7-0 was, yeah, where David Priest uh, got yeah. concussed, yeah. but played yeah. on yeah. for yeah. the rest of the, most of the rest of the game, as I recall. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Seeing three... Um, Mark, Mark Viduka's and probably about six footballs as well but um, I, I think Priest is probably one of our best players and we still lost 7-0 which says a great deal <laughs> but from nowhere Martin comes the mother of all bizarre victories Motherwell 6-5 what the hell was going on now and I wasn't I wasn't there that night I was following it on Teletet or CFAX it would have been at the time <laughs> genuinely thinking right the CFAX is broken uh, it can't be. It can't be. It can't be right. At one end, at one end, you've got the greatest goalkeeper Scotland have ever produced, and at the other end, you've got Andy Gorham, <laughs> the second so, and third greatest goalkeeper Scotland have ever produced. Yeah, yes, <laughs> I, 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 that was an easy tap in for you, Richard, Thank you. wasn't it? Um, and so, like, you know, yeah, eleven go- eleven goals in one night. You know, Aberdeen have been you know up front. We'll say shot shy so far this season, um, and then. This game, this this absolutely crazy game, where you know we go in, but I think we went up, I think we went up four, where we four one at one point as well, then managed to put it back, and then it's like it ends up like five three, and then somehow, you know, we end up you know six four, and they pull, I think they pulled back a penalty at the end. And it's just what a ridiculous game, but it, I just, I think. Despite the fact that we hadn't, we hardly scored before that this in the season. That kind of thing just sums summed up our summed up the season for us, where it was just almost anything was capable of happening. Eleven, no, eleven goals in a game, you know. And like Mark rightly said there, you know, no professional team should be conceding seven goals. If we're being honest, no professional team should be be involved in a game that finishes six five, because um, that is some absolutely stinking defending going on there. Because you look, you know, you look at you no know, defensively. I thought you no, know, we 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 were no David Lilly, maybe not, and Thomas Solberg, well, not so much. But you know, you look at you look at some of the players you know, that they had as well. There, you no, know, that Motherwell team was pretty awful, other than having John Spencer. But the rest were just. You know, how can we? How can you can win a win a game six five? It was absolutely crazy. Um, and then you see, you know, it's even better when the, when you saw the highlights. It was just fantastic. These just this ridiculous game. And in all seriousness, I wish the club would chuck a DVD out of that game or someone or stick it on some kind of season review um, because I've I've never seen I've never seen the full ninety minutes. And I would honestly absolutely love to see the full ninety minutes of that game. Sorry, I was just going to say, I've got a lasting memory of this one, just to jump in briefly. Um, and this goes back to, you talked about watching this on CFAX. This harks back to a time when we didn't get football updates on our phone. Um, I had a similar thing. I was working at a local restaurant, uh, which was about two miles from my house. When I left the house, it was 3-1 Aberdeen. And I was away to do a night shift. Um, and then the, the score came up on the TV, on the ticker at the bottom. And it started Motherwell 5. And I was like, you bastards, no way. Aberdeen 6. Oh, yeah, 
bastards get in <laughs> and it was that absolute euphoric moment of seeing the ticker tape come along with that wee six at the end of it was absolutely brilliant I wasn't there myself either and i've seen it i'm sure a bunch of the goals are super scrappy as well um but it was absolutely brilliant and a, a glorious moment that you just don't get anymore because we're so in touch through twitter social media uh, mobile phones what have you You're, you never really don't know the score um, this was even before text updates or anything like that that you used to get. So a, a, a joyous moment, and what a, what a time to turn our season around. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was before all those things, uh, but what it wasn't before, uh, it was live on the radio that night. It was live on North Sound, and uh, it was the guys that still do the red TV coverage. It was Dave McDermott and Andrew uh, Shinney who, who were doing the commentary that night on North Sound. And I distinctly remember, with about two minutes to go, we made a substitution and we took off uh, Robbie Winters and put on Mark Perry to try and shore things up because having been 6-3 up, we were in danger of blowing it. And the concept of putting Mark Perry on obviously to shore things up is perhaps, uh, yeah, you can make your own punchline there. But obviously Robbie Winters is saying number 11. So the guys are watching this and it's coming towards full time. And I think it's Andrew Shirley. It convinces himself that the linesman has given 11 minutes of added time. <laughs> so he goes <laughs> mental on the radio <laughs> before he realises his mistake. Um, so I don't know how we would have coped the 11 minutes of uh, normal time. We probably would have lost 8-7 or something had there been 11 <laughs> minutes of extra time. But uh, it just an incredible evening, one that's still spoken about 21 years later. So that that was the first win. I think despite this, and it's weird, and I can see echoes of this happening now with Daniel Stendhal at Hearts, Mark, is that despite everything that was happening to us, despite how rubbish we were, a lot of Don's support tended to make a point of standing up for every school town and sticking up for him and uh, you know getting behind him at games. Why do you think that was? I don't know, it's a strange one. We're, we're, we're strange, aren't we, football fans? I don't know, because there's nothing in the previous, what, 12 fixtures that would make you have any faith in Skovdal. I think a lot to do with who went before kind of comes into play as well. You had Aitken, you had Miller, Hegarty, I think, kind of was in for the job as well, wasn't he, after caretakering? So then when you get somebody like Skovdal in, you maybe kind of want to back him more. If you've got... If he's getting attacked by press or whatever you kind of you want to fight for your man and you're hoping maybe he will then turn it around i don't i don't really know because uh, yeah you look back there's a 7-0 there's a 5-0 you've lost five to motherwell definitely and there's still a, a warmth and affection for skovdal to this day you know and cameron i think it uh, fosters what was quite a, a strong feeling of solidarity amongst the Aberdeen support probably more united then when we were bottom of the table and getting thumped uh, every week, than they are now. Yeah, it, do you know what? It's when you're in a hole, isn't it? You, you kind of club together because that's really the only choice. I think that compared to now where the expectations are at a certain level and when you're not meeting them, it's very quick to go, you're not meeting my expectations. Our expectations were decimated. You know, there was nothing that we thought was going to happen was happening this season. I don't think anybody... We'd been bad for a while, and we really hadn't been the, the club that we should have been based on how we did so well in the 80s and even into the early 90s. And it just went so horrible for so long. And it was just almost this, oh, God, here we go again. This is going to be another dire season. But actually, it was that realistic... Actually, this could be really dire. This could be the first ever relegation that Aberdeen 
will face in their in their history, and therefore the fans kind of rallied together in that sense. Um, some of the attendances were actually all right. It's a, there's a few funny ones along the way there, um, which is a sign as well that when the club needed us, we actually stepped up. Uh, and I think that that's something that Aberdeen fans have done. Uh, I think there was a couple of deals done through the season as well to try and encourage people to come along to them. Um, I think there was a game later in the year against St. Johnson, and there was like over 17,000 people there. I'm sure there was a bring a mate for a pound or something like that that they, that they did that season. But it, it, it's when your backs are to the wall. It was the same when we ended up in the playoffs and had to play Dunfermline in about 94-95. When it was dire and the club needed us to be there, we were there. Well, Martin, um, some of the new signings began to filter into the team. Uh, Thomas Solberg arrived. I, I don't know if he had a hugely positive effect to it. He he was uh, someone that Scovedale had identified early on. Kato Guntveit is um, a man often forgotten, but did a, a pretty decent job on the right side of midfield. And Harold Stavum, as we've spoken about, um, was brought in at considerable expense in terms of the wage budget. Um, and things didn't really improve that quickly in the league but what we had done early in the season where everything was going wrong in the league we'd scraped past Livingston and Falkirk to make the quarterfinals of the League Cup and there we'd drawn Rangers at Pataudry um, Rangers at that point uh, going great guns domestically Dick Avocas possibly his first season um, at uh, Ibrox I think it was they ended up winning the league at a canter but us being rubbish them being brilliant Cut football, 1-0 to us after extra time. And Andy Dow again with the winner, deep into extra time. It really was Andy Dow's season, wasn't it? Yeah, it absolutely was. I mean, no, I'm actually not sure who got voted player of the season that season. But if it wasn't Andy Dow, um, then they need to go back um, and award him it. Because that year he was... No, I, for, the, for, for, for what we were and how we were and the level we found ourselves at... He was he was he was brilliant for us. You look at the results throughout the season, and though there's a lot of games where he kind of dug us out of a hole, uh, we'll come on to some of the other cup games. I'm sure later as well. Um, and that game is you no know, when things are going badly in the league. Um, you kind of you, know, you look at the cup cup as a dist- as a distraction to kind of to give yourselves a bit of a lift. And there's no, there's nothing no, there's nothing that gets the gets the fans you know, the blood pumping more than a cup game at home at home at Rangers. Um, and then to come out of that one, winning 1-0 after, 1-0 after extra time, um, and Andy Dow giving us that goal as well, um, it was you know, right in, coming right at the start of December as well, which was, you know, we had some, had some big games coming, coming that month as well. Um, it was a, was a real, real boost. Um, getting us through, getting us, of course, through to the, to the semi-finals was, was a really big thing. And Andy Dow was absolutely, was, was great for us that season, you know, and you get, you get these players you know, in football where they will, you know, sometimes they only have one good season. Um, and you, know, you think, you know, these guys, and then they kind of just drift out of form and then they move on and they never have any. And Andy Dow, I think, was one of those where he had that one very good season for us. And then it's kind of, the, that, that was really his career. And I think that's really all, what his career is built for and what he's remembered for is in a very bad Aberdeen, Aberdeen season, he was, he was great. Then between December and February, if you look back at the record, the form's actually pretty decent. 14 competitive games, we won nine of them, drew three and lost two. Although, it's got to be said, the two we lost were 6-0 at Bittordre to Celtic and 5-0 at Ibrox. So, um, you know, the, again, the lows were very, very low. The catalyst for that 
not all of it, but a large part of the catalyst for that, and the man giving us a little bit of belief and joy back into our footballing lives, Cameron, made his debut against Hearts at Pataudry in a league game in December 1999. Uh, he's obviously sadly no longer with us, but um, the impact Hisham Zero Ali made on that team that season, um, it can't be underestimated. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a huge player for us. And I think, like you say, sadly no longer with us, but a massive legend uh, to the Aberdeen support. Always will be. Uh, you know, like you say, he came on against Hearts in that game. I'm sure it was one all at the time. And he set up, I'm sure he set up the two goals uh, for us to then ultimately win 3-1. Signed for 450,000. You know, we talked to the top there about, you know, us still splurging money on players. You know, I can't even imagine us spending something like that. Although, apparently, we maybe just did it on a Venezuelan right back that hasn't really seen the field. But, um what a player he was. Uh, I think it was Keith Birkinshaw as well that discovered him. Because I'm sure Keith Birkinshaw at the time was our director of football. And he was also a scout. So, you know, I think he was obviously signing off his own travel expenses. But if he went and found us a Hitchum Zero Alley, we'll let him away with it. He was brilliant and absolutely was the turning point for me in that season. Mark, your memories of uh, Zero Alley? Just the smile. Like I know that sounds cheesy, probably, but like playing football with a smile, like his his free kick against St Mirren. I think I'm guessing we're going to come to soon as well. His celebrating in the puddle was it Dundee, Dens Park, everyone wearing fezes. <laughs> you know, like there was a lot to like about Zero Ali. But the first thing is just joy, just enjoyment playing football. A bit of the Ronaldinho's really, just uh, having a big smile on his face while playing. That's that's how I remember him. I know he wasn't brilliant every game, but that's my first thoughts on him, I suppose. And it was finally, Martin, just a hint of momentum behind this. I, I particularly remember a, a game around about uh, Christmas time, Boxing Day, maybe against Dundee United at Pataudry, where both the Moroccans actually scored. Yeah, another one. Um, you know, Carmen mentioned earlier on about you know, some, getting some like really like a weird, weird kind of attendances. And obviously, the, the <clears throat> two days after Christmas. No, I remember. I remember that one. It's like it seemed that Pataudry was absolutely packed. Um, I'm sure it wasn't a sellout, but it just seemed like there wasn't a, wasn't a seat to be taken. Um, and you know, Dundee United. You know, those old those old rivals. Um, don't know whatever happened to them, but you know, um, and getting you know, like I say, two days after Christmas, a three-one win. Um, and like I say, the two Moroccans and Stavrum getting on the on the score sheet, um, and it did. It, it it generally did feel like you know it might have been because you know we'd had a had a bit of a Christmas bevy um, before the game, but it, it generally did seem like there was a kind of turning point and we were we were going somewhere. Zero Ali was you know, was was just what was wonderful for us, um, and and that, that game him getting on the score sheet as well uh, was was just perfect. And I generally felt from that point when you think halfway through the season, what was it? Maybe it must have been about sixteen or seventeen games in. You thought right, this is it. We're finally, we're finally going in the same. We're all pulling in the same direction. This is where we're going to start moving up the table. Now, the start of um, two thousand, start of the new century, millennium. Let's just call it year to avoid any of that nonsense. Um, and the focus was very much on the cup competitions. We're through this League Cup semi final. We played Dun United in uh, Dundee, a uh, very neutral venue there, um, Dens Park, and Dun United couldn't sell that allocation for Dens Park. Let's just put that on the record. Um, Scottish <laughs> Cup, Turkey away tie at St Mirren, league leaders of the Championship. Uh, we've already spoken about how Zero Ali rescued us. Replay against St Mirren, get through 2 0. 
decent performance. Due to play either Celtic or Cali Thistle in the next round, so we automatically think, oh no, that's the, that's us done for. We've lost 18 goals in three games to Celtic so far. That's the end of the cup run, surely. No, it was the end of John Barnes, and um, we eventually got past Inverness Cali after a hell of a scrap over two games in the next round. The League Cup semi-final, um, Cameron, to me, I remember that day at Dens Park as the day of all the plastic fezzes. Yep, the day of all the plastic fezzes, and I I have a very <laughs> vivid memory of this day. It was quite an adventure for me. I'm trying to remember the name of the pub. I think it's the Ambassador that's up the hill, um, and the Dungeon United fans were on... I, I can't remember if it's the right name of the pub or not, but the Dungeon United fans were on the ground floor, and the Aberdeen fans were on the first floor. I remember walking up into the pub, and somebody had a massive cardboard cutout of Zero Alley, and it was basically crowd surfing up and down the crowd. Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. For me, I got into the game at Dens and was given a ticket right at the end of the stand, behind the goals. Got into the stand, looked for my seat, I think it was seat 94 or something like that, and the row ended at 93. I was like, what on earth? What's going on here? Uh, so I went and spoke to a steward, and the steward was like, ah, yeah, we've, we've had a bit of a mistake, and there's been a, a whole extra row, a seat on every row added. So there was a bunch of us ended up in the main stand, right next to the tunnel, uh, uh, when, when the players come in and out. And I was, I mean, I was there. I was young. I was mouthy. I'm not going to deny it. I like to sing. And there was nobody around me. <laughs> there was me and a few of my mates because they'd all come with me and we're all over in the main stand. Um, and then randomly after the game, our old Stavrum, I remember, scored second half. An absolute beaut. Um, but after the game, as the Dungeon United players were leaving the park, I was up against them giving it all the, who are you? Who are you? Oh, yeah. And then Alan Coombe turned and looked at me and then kind of like full moved to headbutt me, uh, making me absolutely crap my pants like the big Jesse that I, I still am today. Um, but then, I don't know if you remember, very randomly, he did it again to a linesman and got sent off about a year later. Uh, so that's my claim to fame. Uh, before he tried to full headbutt a linesman, he tried to full headbutt me. I, <laughs> I got to him and that made me extra happy. <laughs> We'd gone a long while, actually. A good, at least it felt a long while, Martin, back then. Five years since we'd reached the final, and suddenly this team of um, complete no-hopers had made it. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Aberdeen with our our, kind of our storied, um, brilliant cup history, um, and it goes we go five five years without without really achieving anything. And despite despite how bad the season was, I think you know you're always kind of hoping that you know if you get a kind draw. You can maybe you know you can maybe get to get to a cup final. Well, we didn't get a kind draw. Um, no, we got we were we got Rangers and we managed to beat them. When things are going really badly, um, these kind of weird weird results throw themselves up, don't they? You know where we're we're kind of losing games. We're like getting hammered by Celtic in the league and you know, going all these you know, on this massive long streak without a goal at the start of the season. But then we find our, find ourselves you know, just having putting a, putting a run of results together in the cup. Which maybe it's because the pressure. You know, I've, I've, you've heard players talk about it before, with the saying that the cup, you know, the pressure's off a little bit um, because it's only one-off games, t- really. Um, and then, bizarrely, you know, you beat Dundee United, and we find ourselves going to Hamden um, in a League Cup final again. It's just, it's football's mental, isn't it? It, it certainly can be, and this season was one of the, the more mental ones. And unfortunately, the final itself. I suppose we've probably talked to ourselves into thinking we had a, we had a bit of a chance, Cameron, because Celtic were in turmoil post 
the supercaligobalistic result. John Barnes left, obviously. Kenny Douglas was in charge. The day itself was, was a total damp squib. Yeah, it was. And another theme that has sort of come around, although it's happened more recently than uh, back then, is us losing to Celtic in finals and not putting on much of a fight. Uh, that's exactly what happened on this one. I, I was through that. Great day out. Got, we all got in trouble from the police for drinking in the streets because I'm sure it was early enough that game that none of the pubs were open. Um, and, you know, went into the game... Expectations were high. We had been playing well. We'd been doing much, much better. And I think, given how bad the season had started, we were suddenly not just a contender, but we were actually winning some games quite comfortably. So therefore, we thought, you know what? We can absolutely go and give a game here. And we didn't. We just didn't. It was limp and it was disappointing. And we left with a 2-0 defeat. Um... Tommy Solberg, I'm sure, got sent off in the second half as well, which made it an absolute non-contest from that point forward. I'm sure we were 1-0 down at the time. Uh, and that was that was the end of that. Yeah, on the, on the free match drinking thing, we had been um, drinking on the slopes of Mount Florida Station uh, in the absence of any pubs being open. It had been a Sunday, t- 2 o'clock kickoff uh, before the sort of Three dozen or so Don fa- Don's fans who were there were getting moved on by the police. So instead of sort of trudging out the station with like the normal people, we hopped over the back of the station wall into the car park of the Glasgow, or what is now the Glasgow Clyde College. Um, I don't know what it would have been back then. So yeah, we, we spent a very um, cold, chilly 90 minutes of an early uh, spring afternoon drinking our cans in this deserted car park of a further education college in Queen's Park in Glasgow. Uh, so there are more glamorous pre-game locations to drink your tins, I can assure you of that. But uh, anyway, at least the coppers couldn't see us. Um, and that was pretty much the highlight of the afternoon, sadly. Um, you're right, Tommy Soberg gets himself sent off. We lose 2-0. I can't really remember us having a shot at goal, which is... Uh, which is unfortunate, but um, it's uh, you're quite right, Cameron. It's, uh, it was almost like the, the sign of things to come uh, 20 years down the line. Still moving on in the, in, in the Scottish Cups, we got past Dundee United again in the quarterfinals at Tannadice and the NGS winner. But in the league, Mark, it becomes clear that finishing bottom isn't going to mean that we enter that three-team playoff. Two of the teams in that three teams would have gone up, stayed up. And um, the league form begins to tail off again. Do you think we would have actually, I mean, sort of, if your auntie had Bo's question here, but do you think we would have uh, avoided finishing bottom if it had still meant something? You just used my, if my auntie's got bars, I was waiting to use that as well. <laughs> um, it's impossible to tell, isn't it? Like, if you've got nothing to play for, I mean, you've got professional pride, you've got paying punters, you think you'd be putting your shift in. If if relegation was a possibility, I'd like to think we would have uh, bucked up. I think the the fixtures or the score, sorry, would look different today if we had something to play for in the league. Um, we done it a few years before that. Yeah, we'd have definitely picked up more points. What did, did we finish? Four points, five points adrift, was it? Four, four clear at the bottom. It is really difficult to tell, though, isn't it? You know. Um, yeah, what do you guys think? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give Martin the chance not to talk about that, but to um, to clearly state that we weren't saved from relegation by reconstruction, were we, Martin? 
we absolutely were not. This is the this is the thing that is the absolute bane of Aberdeen. Hold on, hold on, I'm, I'm waiting. Hold on, I'm waiting. Go and get popcorn. I'm going to sit down for this. This is going <laughs> to this is going to be ranty, right? Okay, go. I'm going to say this without swearing um, and just make it absolutely clear as clear as possibly can be done. Um, no, I, and the, the annoying thing is that as as the as the years have gone on, it's just it's became this thing of. Well, Aberdeen should have been relegated, but Falkirk didn't get promoted because of their stadium, and it's became the accepted thing to the point where there's been cert- there's been Aberdeen footballers on television and pun- doing punditry have kind of been caught up on this and said and and, and worded it that way. Um, it's it's absolute no, it's absolute nonsense, and it's this thing that's thrown at us. Um, it's, look, it's not Aberdeen's fault. Yeah, we finished bottom. Yeah, it was absolutely shite finishing bottom. You know what? It was embarrassing finishing bottom. You know, there's people who there was guys I know when I was I was working at the time. There was guys at the time who were like giving us absolute pelters because it was it is absolutely shite finishing bottom. But we weren't spared relegation. We were spared a playoff. It's as simple as that. And these idiots that come out with this, it's so frustrating seeing it. These people coming out with it, you know, and they throw it at you, and it's became you no. Know, amount of times I've heard it on. No, not that I listen to those sports sound very often, but the amount of times they they chuck that out on sports sound and nobody corrects them. Um, usually they do it when Willie Miller isn't on to be fair to him because he will he will pile in. But it's just became the Scottish football myth that Aberdeen were spared. You know, we should have been put down, but it's, but but Falkirk Stadium saved it, which is not true. From memory as well, I have a feeling it was a three-team playoff as well. It wasn't even just us and yeah. Falkirk. Yeah. Dunfermline yeah. were going to be in the mix as well. I can't remember the permutations or how it was going to work because I think it kind of almost got swept aside quite early because we all knew that Falkirk yeah. were going to be in the mix and they weren't going to be considered for promotion because Brockville was a hellhole um, and they had the move to that point. So it almost didn't even become part of any kind of conversation. So yeah, I agree with you. It was something that was chucked at us all the time. You know, people were making mucks that guy oh, you should have been relegated. Well, do you know what? Fine, you can think that. But it wasn't an automatic relegation place that year. We were going into a playoff. The last time we'd been in a playoff against Dunfermline, we beat them 6-2 in aggregate. Fine, whatever. It wouldn't have been the first time. We wouldn't have gone down anyway. Zero Alley would have scored a hat-trick. Harold Stavrum, header, make it 4-0. Boom, we stay up. That's how it would have panned out. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the Cups, continue to progress. Scottish Cup semi-final. Hibs at Hamden. Now, Hibs under Alex McLeish that season, the first season back up, having won the championship the year before, were having a good season. The prize for the winner would have been a place in Europe. We knew that when the game came around on a Sunday because Rangers had already made the final, they were waiting for us in the final, and they were going to win. I think they perhaps had already wrapped up the league by that point. What I remember about this one, Martin, is it was a 5 past 6 kickoff for Sky TV. And it meant there was only maybe six or seven thousand reds down, but those that went down created a hell of an, an hell of an atmosphere. We went a goal down, but we recovered magnificently and scored two brilliant goals to win it and make the final. Just no, and it's the guy, the guys that you expect to be digging out of these type of things as well. No, Stavrum and Dow, no Andy Dow yet again with 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 the with the winner that puts us through. No, I think I think our goals. If I remember right, came within a space of ten. No, in a space of ten minutes in the second half as well. Um, no, Stavrum. No, Stav, what a player. No, I mean I've, I, ca- I can't say enough good things about our old Stavrum. Um, you know, we, we, we said that when we put him in our in our in our squad of the two thousands. He's just he's just brilliant. An absolute you no, know, an absolute goal machine. Um, and that Andy Dow as well gets us the winner. 
what 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 a, what a strike it was! An absolutely brilliant move. Um, I think it was was it Gutenweit Gutenweit put it to Stavrum, um, and then Stavrum cuts the ball in and into Dow, and he just smashes it in. What a goal! Uh, what a moment! And again, yeah, like I said, there wasn't a lot of Aberdeen fans down there. Um, because you know, it, it, this was probably the start of the the really inconvenient shite times for for football being on television. Um, so yeah, not a lot of people travelled down for a Sunday night. Uh, but the guys, yeah, there was a great atmosphere down there. Um, and then with, again, we find ourselves there. We go, you know, we're we're guaranteed European football. Uh, we find ourselves in the Scottish Cup final. Um, we know that there will be no possibility of relegation. Um, not that that's not that that makes things things good. But suddenly there's a there's a there is there's real positivity. You know, we're seeing we've got we've got no we've got Europe to look forward to. Brilliant European football is what Aberdeen does. Um, plus we've got the chance at a cup as well. And suddenly, you know, everything's looking a little bit rosier than it was. Here's a, here's one for you, Mark. I reckon that uh, Andy Dow goal is is possibly the best goal that Aberdeen have scored at Hamden. The best, quite possibly. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's good. It's good. Fallon's is better. No, Fallon's is a one-off <laughs> strike. The build-up, the, the layoff from Stavrum straight into his path. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It is good. It is good. Puts the laces through it. And I, I don't think I've. It must have happened before, but I don't recall seeing players celebrate with a cupped hand to the ear. But Dow does that, right? He, he scores and then he's yeah, yeah, he's yeah. play for Hibs. Is that right? So I, I don't really. I can't think of another. Don's player anyway Celebrating with the Can you think of any? Niall McGinn's done it on occasion Hasn't he? To his own support But Previous Previous to Dow So did Dow Introduce the Cupped ear Celebration to Aberdeen Remember Andy Dow did play for Hibs though So I don't know whether he was Yeah 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 Well even Even more so These days it would be more of a Hands down Gentle gentle No celebration Yeah The point is I don't think I've seen it I hadn't seen it Before Dow no, I mean, he des- he deserved that moment because I dare say that, I mean, this is a guy who left Hibs on a free transfer to come to us and it was very much considered a, a squad fuller and he his moment in the sun and we've already touched on it during the course of this podcast but what a season and what impact he had in those big games, Cameron. Uh, do you have any particular memories of that one? Uh-huh. So I'm glad you asked me this because I've just had <laughs> a penny drop moment here. I didn't see the Andy Dow celebration. I was watching this at, a, at another pub that I worked in in Midlothian. I'm not going to name the pub, but it was a rough pub. Uh, I watched it in Midlothian, uh, and there was two sides to this bar. There was the bar and there was the lounge. The Hibs fans were watching through in the lounge and through in the bar, and they're giving it big licks when they're in front. And uh, obviously, I give it big licks back when we equalise. Then when the winner goes in, we didn't know it was the winner then, but I ran through to the other side of the pub to celebrate uh, and one of the Hibs fans through there took exception to me and tried to launch at me and tried to headbutt me. So I've just realised that <laughs> somebody tried to headbutt me at both semi-finals that year. A genuine, <laughs> genuine penny drop moment. Never realised that. And I honestly, if anyone knows me, I'm a nice guy. I'm an easygoing Aberdeen fan. I don't cause trouble. So, uh, yeah, that's my lasting memory of that game. Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. I went through and finished my pint. Uh, another boy got turfed out. So... <laughs> I won on every level that day. <laughs> you sound you sound headbuttable. <laughs> <laughs> Ahead of the final that day, uh, the, the sort of uh, that year, the controversy was actually centred on the allocation of tickets and um, the 
basically the assumption of the SFA that Tandon was now operating with a, with a reduced capacity to what it had been before. And uh, straight off the bat, without giving us a chance to, to sell out half the stadium, as really should be the case for a cup final if a team can do that, I think everyone now accepts. The SFA were offering Rangers a great split of the tickets. And um, I, I recall, Martin, that uh, the Aberdeen supporters groups actually went to court to try to get this changed, to try and get this overturned. Uh, such was the weight of feeling. And just the intrinsic unfairness of that very typical Glasgow-centric approach to football in this country. This this is the sort of the, 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 the very, I think not the beginning, but this is one of the heights of it's only about Celtic and Rangers. It's not to do, you know, you've got the rest of you guys don't matter. Uh, and, you know, I've said before that you know, ticket sales should be 50-50. If you can't sell them out, fine. You can't sell them out, put them back, you know. Um, you know allocate, the, allocate the available tickets in a sensible way so that if we have to put some back, you know, there's no hassle with um, segregating the stadium and all that kind of stuff. But this was just, this was just you know, Scottish football authorities, um, really one of, the, one of the peaks of just, oh, it's Rangers, you know, they're... You know, they've got, they've got, you no, know, they've got advocate. You know, we want to be seen to to accommodate these, 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 this so-called majority of supporters. And it was, it was, it was an absolute disgrace. Um, and quite, quite rightly, you know, the supporters groups really, really got laid into it because, you no, know, who are who are they to say that you no, know, you know, Aberdeen fans are less and less entitled to go see a cup final than Rangers fans? You, know, you can give us all this crap about oh they have more season tickets, they have all this and that. Because simple fact is though that cup finals are are neutral venues for a reason, and they should be fifty fifty, and they always should have been fifty fifty. This didn't happen, and you know, and it is a time a time as well. It would credit to the supporters clubs for tr- at least trying to do something. So that was before the game, um, and I think uh, leading up to it, I don't think anyone thought we had a, a tremendous chance, but we probably had a puncher's chance. You know, we we had shown, obviously we put them out of the League Cup, and we'd shown in other of the Cup performances and in some of the League games that on our day, we could give them we could give them a game. If everything went for us, we had a chance. You know, it was, uh, it was like Mike... Tyson versus was it Buster Douglas who beat him? It was like twenty-eight to one or whatever he was. We had that sort of chance that we could do it, but nobody was expecting us to do it. It didn't quite pan out that way. Cameron did it. It was it was a day that basically almost from kickoff was uh, was destined to only go one way. So I remember before the game, all the chat at that point was around uh, the fact that Zero Ali was starting on the bench. And I think that at the time there was a feel like, oh, should we play in Zero Alley? You know, if we've got a chance, it's the creative spark that we need. You know, you're trying to figure out where to put him in the team and things like that. You didn't even think at that point about the fact that there was not a substitute goalkeeper there. And then ultimately, Jim Layton's final game for Aberdeen, a club in which he played, I, I don't even know the number, a substantial amount of games, certainly. Um, his final appearance for Aberdeen lasted all of about two or three minutes as Billy Dodds came through late. Now, I, I know some people that think he did it on purpose. I like to think that no, he didn't. He, he went for a ball, probably a little bit late, caught Jim Layton in the face, and I'm sure it was, he broke his cheekbone. Um, he lay down there. We realised very quickly as we saw the players kind of going over to the touchline that something was wrong here, something serious was wrong. And then when you saw Robbie Winters putting on the jersey, you just thought, 
Oh, well, that's the cup final then. And that's two, three minutes into the game. Just absolutely soul-destroying. Um, and from that point, it became a farce final. It just was a farce final. Uh, Billy Dodds definitely didn't do it deliberately. Uh, Rod Walls, on the other hand, might have done. Um, oh. Oh. Mark, Jim, <laughs> Jim Layton. <laughs> well, Billy Dodds is to blame for an awful lot of things, let's be clear, uh, but uh, not on this occasion. Uh, Mark, uh, Jim Layton, just a, a horrific way for him to, to bow out. I mean, he'd obviously started the season out of the team. David Priest had replaced him, but at the age of 40, he'd fought back into the side and, and made a real contribution that season. Without a doubt, yeah, in a horrible, horrible way to end the career, or your career with the club that you served with such distinction as well. It was horrible, it was horrible to see. And yeah, I mean, I'm not sure when, when Leighton came back into the team, but was that was that part of the kind of resurgence of us, kind of winter time? Was that uh, Leighton coming back in? Well, it would have been after... Priest getting exactly. Out, it was suppose, a six-five. Was his first game back in. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's Leighton. Like we all, we all love Jim Leighton. What a horrible, horrible way to end your career. What an absolute fucker Rod Wallace is as well. Uh, so you're not going for the accidental angle there, obviously, um, Martin. Um, <laughs> the as if losing Jim Layton after a few minutes wasn't bad enough, Russell Anderson doesn't even make it to halftime either. He picks up what ended up being a, a very serious injury. And, uh, you know, ultimately, from the struggles he had in the first part of his career, you have to just applaud Russell for uh, ending up with the career that he did. Yeah, you absolutely have to. I mean, you know, I think it, no, 40 minutes gone um, and you find yourself, I think we're maybe only one or two down at the time, um, and you find yourself, you know, missing... No, have it with a with a forward in goals um, and missing you know, Russell Anderson as well. Um, just you know, it, 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 just a disaster. I mean, for the for the record, Cena's Cameron and Mark have had their say. Um, it was absolutely deliberate deliberate from Rod Wallace, and I'm not having it any other way. There was lots of talk before the game about Jim Layton it being his last game. No, this heroic, legendary Scottish goalkeeper with all these caps under his belt, all these World Cups under his belt. There is absolutely no way that that wasn't discussed in the Rangers dressing room about leaving one on him early to kind of put him off. Because he would have gone into that game hyped up beyond belief, you know, desperate to prove something, desperate for his last game to be a trophy. There is, you know, across history, you know, there are countless times when Rangers forwards have done that, done that to our goalkeeper, whether it's Michael Watt, where yeah. it's Theo Snelders. Where it's you no, know, even later on you've seen them. Um, they've done it. To, they've done it to Langfield. They've done it to Lewis. There is absolutely no way that wasn't discussed before the game. This heroic, legendary goalkeeper on his last game will be desperate to keep us out, and it was so so obviously deliberate. And when they'll have they'll have seen there's no sub keeper, cub keeper on the bench, and you no, know, and that is you know that is that is necessary. That is the, that's the manager's fault, I suppose you could say. Uh, but that was 100% deliberate from Rod Wallace, um, and it's it was actually it's absolutely shameful. Um, and you know, as Aberdeen fans, as Aberdeen fans, we should have waged a fucking campaign and we should have driven him out of Scottish football for that because he's an absolute bastard. Here, here. Uh, don't hold back, Martin. Uh, what I will say <laughs> is that um, uh, just as a sort of editorial note here, Joe Lewis has never played against the side that uh, featured at Hamden <laughs> and, and never will. Um, 
I suppose in the end, um, and it was a farce, Mark, we were a bit fortunate it was only four in the end. There was a sort of almost a tartan army feel to the dawn's end by that time. The game had long gone. Conga line starting in the in the stand. Uh, do you sort of understand that attitude, or did it horrify you? I was probably in it. <laughs> I was probably I was probably in the Conga. No, I, I remember that going on, and I think like there's two emotions overriding that day. I think one is just frustration and sadness of like how it's the season's coming to an end. I was optimistic going into that game. Um, and then the other one is relief, right? You know what? This season's over and done with. You know, it's been a it's been a long season, so I don't I don't really understand that attitude. I don't think I would have paid X amount to go to a cup final to end up doing a fucking conga. No, I, I yeah, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> That's very intriguing. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe off. <laughs> I've got to say, it's a game, personally, that I remember absolutely nothing of because I had a, a ridiculous, epic drinking session beforehand, which basically mm. completely blitzed me. I should never, ever have been allowed in the stadium that day, given how drunk I was. But uh, Maybe maybe that's why a conga was going on, because I think everyone, everyone would have been in that. What I do remember is, before everything started, is pitching up at, uh, at the back of our end of uh, Pamden, um, <laughs> in, a, in a sort of lane behind one of the bars because obviously they weren't open yet because I was through at 10am um, having stayed in Glasgow the night before uh, and myself and my mate drinking a shady carry-out with a couple of the Group 4 security guys who were going to be on uh, <laughs> who were going to be on duty at Hamden later that afternoon those were our first beers of the day uh, certainly <laughs> not the last ones that was the Scottish Cup final or second Cup final defeat of the season um, so a season in which we finished bottom, lost both cup finals, and um, it was quite a ride, quite a ride. Now, every score of as a whole, whole, that first season, I think it's fair to say he came out of it stronger. I think, uh, from my point of view, Cameron, the score of reign, every season he was with us, every whole season he was with us, he improved us. There seemed to be at least a plan there. Uh, yeah, things got better but there were some shambolic things along the way i think he got you know that that cup final did two things it made us angry and it kind of regalvanized us as a group i think and to the point about the conga line i remember at the time there was a bunch of i think it split the the fan base 50 50 half the fan base was dead against it and half the fan base were like oh i was there for a day out we were we lost it in the second minute as soon as our keepers off so we kind of just went you know what let's not let them think they've got to us as they celebrated orange day which is just uh, disgusting on the taste of my tongue as i say it absolute just bigoted pish under a disguise of a dutch flag honestly absolute nonsense but anyway so i, I think all that made it worse there was anger there was frustration there was relief that the season was over and there was a little bit of optimism as we looked forward and then we got bohemians in the you know the uefa cup and we thought brilliant that'll be good uh... Yeah, Bohemians, <laughs> absolutely. Um, um, we were get, we were obviously all. We, I was think I was what uh, twenty twenty five twenty five at the time, and I was quite hyped about uh, going to Europe. Um, it would have been my first away game, but the chat was, "Oh no, let's wait till the next round. Let's <laughs> hang on. Let's wait till we get past Bohemians. Wait 
for the next round. But that's um, for if we ever do a review of season 2000-2001. Martin Ebiskovzal, for you, um, good, bad, in between? Um, I think it's in between. I mean, like, the, the, the most important thing is, like you say, is he improved us, um, you know, season upon season. Um, you know, I think that you know, once he got a couple of seasons under his belt, we finished. Um, we end up finishing finishing fourth, I think, which wasn't you no, know, isn't bad. You know, you look at you look at this. You no, know, kind of eventually once he got to building a squad, um, you had some guys who you know are, are, are pretty damn good players. Um, you know, he, he brought through. You know, guys like guys like you know Kevin McNaughton were getting regular games. Um, you know, obviously Russell was there already anyway. But Russell, you know, Russell once he got fully fit became you know was was really was kind of forming into the Russell that we all we all know and love. Um, so I think you know he's, he's, he's somewhere in the middle. I mean, you no, know, you you can't. I don't think you can say that it was you no, know, it was any, there was success there, or you no, know, you would get you no know, like an eight, nine out of ten. But um, definitely. No, definitely, there's positives there, um, and he let no. I think we were no. He took us in, took us in a decent direction, uh, took us back up to the end of the, the top, the level of the league where we, we should have been aiming for anyway. No, finishing fourth. No, the season after that wasn't so great. Obviously, well, I think we we're back down to like seventh or eighth. But I think though there was definitely shoots there, um, and he deserves. He des- definitely deserves some credit for bringing through some players and bringing in some some decent talent as well. Mark, you can have the final thoughts. I, well, I kind of agree with Martin. <laughs> he, he, he brought in some uh, great players. He nurtured some young ones who went on to have great careers. Um, he definitely improved us, took us away from the uh, Alec Miller era. So anyone would have probably been an improvement on that. Perhaps we expected more from him, given his um, his stature in the game. We maybe thought we could get more from him. Very quotable, you know, his statistics and miniskirts quote is still bandied about today. Uh, still a warmth and affection for Ebbs Govdal with most Aberdeen fans. Actually, yeah, as a uh, as a t- social media account that uh, likes to dig into its stats, I, <laughs> I wish to say uh, fuck him for that particular uh, quote, <laughs> which gets me uh, hit back at us at least... I would say three times a week, and it's <laughs> stop it, please, please stop it. <laughs> right, um, okay. Um, so now we've alienated uh, half the listeners. Um, my thanks to uh, to the very head buttable Cameron Hobbs. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, to the pasta king himself, uh, Mark <laughs> Elwick. Thank you, gentlemen. This is going to sound great in six months' time where everyone has completely forgotten about this uh, rather crazy couple of weeks period. Anyway, uh, and to um, the guy that here 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 every week, it's Martin Clunas. Thank you, Martin. Thank you very much, Richard. just want to remind everybody that Hope Rod Walsh's next shite is a hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> I've just gone back and rewatched it because I was convinced it was Dodds. Dodds followed up very quickly after him. I don't think I ever went back and watched the highlights again. So that that memory of Dodds doing it's from live at the game, and I was drunk as well. Dodds complains to the referee. Dodds like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" Like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, uh, yes, um, I'm not quite sure how you managed to confuse Rod Wallace with Billy Dodds, but never mind. Um, <laughs> they do look similar. <laughs> They were standing close together. Go rewatch. Honest, don't rewatch it. But they were standing very close together. I didn't see whose foot it was that made the contact. 
Right, uh, on that bombshell, um, <laughs> thank you very much to uh, everyone for contributing tonight. I, ho- I hope you enjoyed that. Um, uh, that fairly slapstick look back. Uh, what was quite a slapstick season, uh, lest we forget. So uh, that was season 1999-2000, where we were the worst team in Europe, but we made two cup finals, and we kind of, yeah, we stuck together, which... Bizarrely. It's bizarre, isn't it? Uh, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back with another show at uh, looking at another... I'm going to have to completely be <laughs> <laughs> I think you should keep it. I think it just sums up the season. <laughs> it ended in disaster, just like our season did. Started off badly. <laughs> Not God, much, 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 much worse. <laughs> Alright, that's us. That was season 1999-2000. We will be coming back to you with another look back at a memorable season uh, sometime shortly. Uh, Until then, even though there's no actual football to watch, come on you Reds and uh, keep safe everybody. Good night.